How do you make a good analogy? Written by Scott Young, October 2014. I've long argued that good analogies are a key to learning well. Abstract subjects like math, science, and philosophy are difficult to learn because they aren't anchored to anything in our experience. Analogies moor these ideas adrift. But analogies are also hard to construct. They're a creative act, so there's no step-by-step -step process that will produce them reliably. Their formation also depends on the very insight they are trying to generate. Therefore, a good analogy can be impossible to make when it is needed most. I want to share my thoughts on what makes an analogy good as a learning tool. Then I'd like to share some of my tricks I've found to make them. So what makes an analogy good? A good analogy is a compromise between two conflicting goals, familiarity and representativeness. Good analogies are familiar. They express an abstract idea in terms of a familiar one. The odometer and speedometer on a car are a good analogy for a function and its derivative because we all know how speedometers work, but we maybe don't understand calculus. Concrete experiences are good breeding gowns for analogies because they can be appreciated by anyone. When I say voltage is to the electric force what height is to the gravitational force, that is helpful because height is more concrete than electric potential. But a good analogy doesn't need to be concrete, it only needs to be expressed in terms of an idea you already know deeply. One of my favorite was from an MIT ecology class which expressed the idea of a biological niche as a section of an n-dimensional feature space. Okay, so if you didn't study linear algebra, that may not make any sense, but it was widely appreciated by the audience who had a stronger math background. So this latter fact is important when creating analogies for yourself. Concreteness is good, but as long as you understand the analogous domain well, anything works. Good analogies are also representative. They match at least some of the features of the idea you're trying to explain. More matches means the analogy has more intuitive power. Fewer means you need to be careful about applying your analogy to situations that you are trying to learn. Making new analogies is like making a key for a lock you haven't seen before. You're limited by your past experience as to what kinds of keys you can make. New key designs take a lot longer to learn than borrowing old ones. That's familiarity. But you also want the key to fit the lock. If the key shape deviates too much, it won't open it. That's representativeness. How to think of good analogies. Good analogies are like inventions. You can learn some rules to help dream them up, but ultimately it's a creative act that can't be fully controlled. Like inventions, the best analogies aren't invented wholesale, but built upon the work of others. When you're learning something abstract, first try to look for other analogies people have generated. If you can't find one, you'll have to make one. That process can be daunting, but there's a few steps to make it easier. First, Gather examples. Examples are easier than making imaginative analogies which hop between different domains. In some areas, they may even be better. I always found economics and philosophy to be more amenable to examples than more cosmopolitan analogies which travel beyond their native subject. Sometimes the analogy is an example, so speedometers aren't just an analogy of derivatives, that's what they actually are, they're an example of a derivative. Nothing will be more representative of an idea than an example of the idea itself. Even if you desire a more creative hook to hang your thoughts, examples become a gateway to more imaginative understandings. Second, pick fertile ground. My next step, if I want to force an analogy out of a concept, is to look for a setting where I might be able to generate one. 
There are some grounds which are more fertile for harvesting analogies than others. Here are some of my favorites. First, children playing. So the rules of games children play can be very flexible to fit many different patterns and the games themselves are easy to imagine. So I once used this to remember the Corneau competition model, an idea from economics, by imagining a game where children had balloons which they could steal from each other to get more, but doing some would also pop some of their own. Two, soap opera dramas. Affairs, romances, and the class system are also good fertilizer for analogies. Imagining the periodic table of elements as a town where their inhabitants have different personalities, so an affluent class of noble gases who don't want to interact with the commoners, coercive halogens who are trying to steal electrons, and gullible alkaline metals that are always being duped. Third, simple physical systems. So unusual systems can be described in terms of more familiar ones. So electric circuits are a system of pipes with bottlenecks, resistors, pumps, batteries, water flow, current, and different heights, voltage. The key is to start with a fertile domain and then start matching features. So for the Corneau competition model, I started with children playing and then added, well, they need to be competing over something. So let's make it toys. Second, they need to be acting selfishly so they can steal toys from the other children too. And third, they need to reduce the total when they act selfishly. So now switch the toys to balloons, which now some of them pop when there's some stealing. Third, compare and contrast. So no analogy is perfectly representative unless it is actually an example of the idea itself. Even examples often fail to generalize perfectly, which is why we have abstractions in the first place. So a speedometer may be a derivative, but it never goes negative when you change directions. So one way around this is just to examine the metaphor more closely. Where does it match the idea? Where doesn't it match? Just doing this exercise will improve your understanding, even if you don't modify your analogy as a result. My last example used balloons and children to explain an economics model but some features of the model are hard to force into this analogy. The model says that firms make their decisions in advance that doesn't correspond well to children playing. In this model, nobody is stealing. Rather, it's their decision to produce more which increases supply and reduces the prices for everyone. So my analogy, the children are presumably stealing from a specific person and not from the general pool. So going meta a little bit, the keys and locks are an analogy of analogies. Keys have features which attempt to match the features of the lock, similarity, but a lock can also open completely or not at all, whereas an analogy can give a partial explanation for some parts and not others. And this is a difference between the idea of keys and analogies. An appreciation for good analogies. I appreciate good analogies like art or inventions. An analogy compromises between familiarity and representativeness, with good analogies choosing just the right amount for the context. The best analogies not only explain, they inspire. They pour color into a featureless void and breathe life into something static. They make the entire subject they cover more beautiful and interesting. Good analogies aren't just tools, they're art. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, please consider rating my show. It helps other people find it. For more episodes like this, please visit my website at scotthyoung.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-H-Y-O-U-N-G.com. Thank you.